Hello, and welcome to Daredevil Rewind. My name is Mose, and some familiar voices today in, in Hell's Kitchen, James Thompson. I promised Betsy I wouldn't do anything illegal anymore. Oh my goodness, you just brought up something great. Already! Already! And someone who is, you remember from season one, who came on at the very end after a full-blown binge. Mm. I think you know him. I think his name is Jason Snell. Yeah, but you can call me Grotto if you want. But don't. <laughs> Actually, don't call me Grotto. He's, he's not a nice guy. No. no. We, we find out later. And, and, and there's mm. a reason for that. Now, Jason... You're actually watching the show, you know, in, in a way that is less monstrous than most. And it's the slow binge, Moe. I'm calling it the slow, it's the slow binge. And, and I appreciate anybody who can do that. And so that's the beauty of the way we've constructed this uh, series is we're only spoiling what's inside this episode. And today, right. um, we're only doing... Uh, Dogs to a gunfight, and that's episode two. Now, yeah, Jason, you and I have had some conversations. Uh, I believe when we first heard that the Punisher was going to be a part of this series, mm-hmm. and you were really—I did a lot of trolling on you about the Punisher because you really kind of have a a a, a dis- despondency, a, a negative feel to <laughs> the Punisher. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about that. Well, you know, the Punisher Punisher is a really interesting character because he starts out as definitely this kind of um, he's like the flip side of what a superhero, what a vigilante superhero is, which is he will do anything because he's got his own brand of justice. And I always thought that there was a lot of great um, a lot of great ideas in that character as a way to sort of question the premise of all superheroes. Like, are, are you you know, do you make your own law? Are you, you know, what makes you different from this this guy? The problem was the Punisher was so popular uh, in the, especially in the sort of like gritty '90s comics world that he, I feel like his, um, his position as an anti-hero got rapidly eroded away, and he was just a cool hero who killed people and was awesome. And I, I never liked that about about him when he became celebrated as this like he's he, he's the he's a new kind of hero who kills his you know the people who deserve it and i just i never liked the i think people a lot of his popularity was for misguided reasons like i always liked uh when the punisher was more messed up and you were not supposed to necessarily uh see him as anything but you know misguided and uh, and so seeing him introduced here in Daredevil, I, I, yeah, I was worried that it was gonna he was gonna kind of hijack the show, and that it was gonna be this portrayal that was gonna be a little more. I don't know. I mean, I should have given the producers more credit because the way that he's uh, he's presented here in the first couple episodes of Daredevil season two <laughs> is, I think, great because he is that question. First off, he he comes. You know, when we're introduced to him initially, he's kind of this mysterious force, almost like a monstrous, villainous force. And and then um, he, you know, we in episode two, we get the back and forth between Matt and and the Punisher, where we see exactly the stuff I was talking about, which is how are they different? How are they similar? 
Um, so I think this episode really handles him well. So it, it diffused a lot of my tension about like, what are they going to do with the Punisher and Daredevil when I saw this episode? James, do you have any thoughts on uh, our old be- our old guy, Frank? Well, um, I, I think the, the two things, I think I mentioned them last week that are in my head about it is that we've got Batman now in the Batman versus Superman films, who previously was on the, you know, one rule never killing anybody and in the in the batman versus superman he's quite clearly gone onto the punisher side of things um but yeah it's the uh it's the judge dread stuff and similar to what jason said you know judge dread was basically in this was 2000 ad not we're not talking stallone films here <laughs> but um you know he was this uh, basically, a, a satirical, f- fascistic kind of uh, figure who then also became a kind of. I think people missed out on the fact that you know it was supposed to be a fascist state and it was supposed to be saying something different, uh, and he just you know went around killing people. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting to see what they do with the the comparing the the uh, Daredevil and the Punisher in this episode to come i'll point out too for those who remember the tick animated series there's a great character called big shot that is a a, a, just a brutal parody of the punisher he's got a a skull on his belt and two giant guns and his defining characteristic is that he uh, shoots everything while crying (laughs) which i think (laughs) is like there there he is that's 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 big shot that's the punisher in a nutshell there yeah i i don't think i was completely ready for the comparison contrast role. But I think as we'll go through this series, we may find some interesting details about mm-hmm. Frank and Matt. So yeah, well, we, we, we just, Frank just kind of appears, right? So there, there's obviously a lot going on there that we don't know yet, which is cool. Yeah. And, and we get to know Frank, uh, very early in this episode. Let's go ahead and, and break down some of it. Um, we got Matt who has been, you know, almost fatally injured, except that it's, you know, the bullet happened to graze him, but the damage has been done. Yeah, they dented, dented his thingy. <laughs> cracked his thingy. Yeah, you can't have a cracked thingy. No, no, not if you're Daredevil. No, that was a, I mean, that was, that was kind of a, a shocking cliffhanger episode run, right? Shot in the head. But here's the answer is, uh, that's why I, that's why I have this suit. And that's why I wear this dumb suit, guys, is because I might get shot. Rather than a cloth cap instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cloth doesn't seem to uh, reflect uh, bullets quite as well. But we do get to see Foggy really starting to take more, again, as we'll see, uh, this, this, this leadership role of taking care of Matt um, and taking care of a lot of other things in the plot line, um, like Grotto and Karen all in the first, you know, what, five minutes. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, we start out, uh, with the aftermath of the attack on the hospital, just going straight into that. And that seems to be a sort of common thing that we're going to see not to jump ahead to the next episode, but yes, we've got these aftermaths of attacks as the opening sequence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
yeah, Foggy's listening to the radio and he knows that there's been shooting and he automatically assumes that Matt's involved and goes out checking all the roofs one by one with silly excuses to get up yeah. onto each roof. I really like that scene. That that shows you how resourceful Foggy is, that he's got, you know, he'll do anything he needs to to check all the roofs. And you get the sense, I don't know if it's true or not, but you get the sense like, this is what happens when you're the friend of a superhero. Foggy knows what he needs to do in order to find Matt because he's concerned that Matt is out there. And he doesn't like the fact that he has to do this, but somebody's got somebody's to help his friend and it, and it needs to be him. And, you know, I don't like to definitely poke holes, but I'm going to poke a hole. You know, Matt's fully suited and it's daylight. How did he get to his apartment without anybody seeing? Because obviously Foggy had to have carried him well foggy said something like oh it's a good thing nobody saw us yeah you know, just to, so that you don't think that but yes there uh, are there are a couple leaps like that in this episode there's there's a lot of things the district attorney does that i don't think the district attorney has the power to actually do but uh we just kind of go with it and yeah there there is that moment like cut to they're at his apartment wow i'm glad we got here without anyone seeing us hmm Maybe well they, they could just they could just pan past like a wheelbarrow sitting outside his apartment that you could work out he used or something. Yeah, like a trash bin, something like that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> they just put it over him. Yeah, um, nobody. You know, I'm just rolling my recycling. I don't know what what the deal is with, but it's actually there's Daredevil inside. I don't, I don't Ooh. Um, and so, move, moving a little bit further ahead now, as the puck goes, we have Matt who has has sustained a serious injury and now his senses are it well his bell has been rung so to speak yeah yeah it's uh uh right i mean what what is the worst thing you could do to daredevil is is he loses his hearing uh, you've helen um, kellered him yeah it's it's quite a quite a moment right because now we're used to seeing him being um so ultra capable and now he's helpless because he can't see and now he can't hear which is his you know his enhanced one of his enhanced senses and so he's uh he's totally totally messed up and uh i, I like i really like that scene and how you've got the weird sounds and then the you know the shouting and there's no there's no sound um so we're kind of put in the in in matt's place uh, and that's that's good. It's nice. I like I like bringing the hero this low this early in the in the season. Oh yeah, it reminded me of There Will Be Blood when I think it was that one where they where all of a sudden the the hearing was gone and you had that screaming that makes no sound and the, ah ah just to just to figure out what's going on. Hmm. Very creepy. Yeah, I mean, I did. I did think that the the sort of the glass falling in slow motion was a little bit cliched um, and smashing on the ground. But I think the rest of the scene where he's screaming silently was very effective. And we get a yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no. So so um, is is this the episode where Karen? Yeah, Karen comes over in this, right? So he he breaks the glass and then Karen comes over. I just wanted to mention while we're talking about this thread that um. So he breaks the glass, which was yeah, a little little on the nose. And Karen comes over, and he's he's messed up. He's more vulnerable with her than he usually is because there's that moment of like you know normally he's fake blind with her, but now he's like really blind with her. He's really messed up. He's not on his game, uh, and she needs to help him. And from her perspective, I, you get you have to read between the lines here. But from her perspective, I guess 
everybody thinks that Matt's like a drunk and just uh, he falls off the wagon and totally gets messed up and then comes back because they're, they're trying to rationalize his behavior. Why? Why Foggy says, well, he's unavailable. I think that's interesting, too. But the thing that that especially drove my wife crazy while we were watching this is they're walking around that apartment with broken glass on the floor <laughs> he's got like bare feet they're just wandering around and then she leaves it's like your blind friend with bare feet is wandering around his apartment where there's broken a broken glass on the floor karen do you not sweep that up for him do you not like hey blind guy uh don't move because you will cut your feet i'm gonna sweep this up and instead it's never mentioned it's like come on Come on, you gotta. That it just drove me crazy. Also, my wife is sitting there going, "Oh, they're gonna cut themselves." I said, "It's probably not real broken glass," but still, set us on edge <laughs> that entire scene. It's like, why there's broken glass right there? Did you forget about the glass? She she's like uh, teaching him a lesson because you know she sees he's <laughs> self destructive, so he's got to live with the consequences of this, and she's yeah. not gonna clean up after him. You're ruining your life, Matt, and the representative of that is this broken glass that I'm not going to clean up. I hope you get Which your shit Which is going to be together. there for yeah. the rest of the season. Yeah, it's just sitting right there. Yeah. Wait, stay tuned to episode 10 where Foggy steps on it. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and gets horribly maimed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, sure. and that is, that is, you know, true test of character because she is acting, not mothering, but definitely very interested in his well-being. And you would have thought, like, as soon as she saw it, she would have swept that up and instead of having kind of a pseudo kind of lovey moment and, you know, that, but, you know, she's got important lawyer, lawyering things to do. I mean, come, come now, we've got to have her and Foggy battling with the uh, DA, who I thought she seemed really familiar to me. And I thought, am I missing something? Is she somebody in the MCU? And that wasn't the case, I don't think. She was in an episode of Jessica Jones, I think. Oh. I don't know. I'm pretty sure she was in an episode of Jessica Jones, but I would need to actually look that up. That may be correct. I am a little void on Jessica Jones, so that's where my, Hmm. my, my wheelhouse kind of gets stopped. I actually, I went back and looked at uh, looking up another character who we see returning um, later on, uh, but I forgot to check her out. Uh, you are correct about yeah, the she, other one. She is. She's in one episode of Jessica Jones. Uh, uh, D. A. Reyes is in uh, one episode, so that is a, that is a crossover. I I couldn't remember whether, but she's in the last episode of the thirteenth episode of Jessica Jones. Okay. Okay. But this, this again, Foggy in this episode becomes kind of a hero. I mean, he goes, uh, he plays his cards and plays them strong and bluffs hard and maintains that he gets to keep Grotto as a uh, client, which I thought was pretty slick. I mean, he was he was really pushing hard. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a Grotto. It's all for this little guy. That's what I, I, they're putting a lot of faith that he can like turn the table on this whole case. And it's, it's like, this guy just happened to live. I mean, he's really nobody. Well, I think that's one of the questions in this episode, right? Is as far as we can tell, it's a mistake that he, that he survived. Um, and the Punisher is going to clean up his mistakes. 
but we don't know that for sure. I feel like, and you know, he yeah, Grotto's just this guy who was in with all the with all the 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 criminals that we saw, um, and uh, he's he's not a particularly wonderful wonderful character, but uh, he's also like super. Um, uh, he, he's at a low point here, right? I mean, everybody around him, the the all the Irish guys are all dead, right? So he's got no protection at all. He's completely exposed. And so that's the question is like, what, if you're a criminal, but your entire crime syndicate is killed around you, what do you, you know, you, you got nothing, you got nothing. And that's where, that's where Grotto is at this point. Indeed. I did think that there was the, um, when they're in the police station and uh, Sergeant Mahoney introduces himself, the only thing that was going through my head was um, Steve Guttenberg in Police Academy. Um, <laughs> because he was also Sergeant Mahoney. <laughs> No uh, Blue Oyster reference there. No. Um, but yeah, so we had, this, we had this scene where uh, Karen's initially alone at the police station because everybody else is off doing other things and she's taking all the details. And uh, then, uh, you know, there's all the talk about how uh, it's uh, a, a Death Wish-style vigilante. Which I thought was interesting because, you know, in the in Death with the Charles Bronson film, you know, his his family is sort of murdered and tortured or whatever, and that's why he becomes a vigilante, and that's sort uh-huh. of foreshadowing a bit, I would say. Is this where where we learn about devil worshippers? Yes, I think that's the point where they talk about the the copycat devil worshippers, as the the police are calling them. So it sounds like it's not just uh, uh, the Punisher. We've got dozens of people running around. And this is the question that's a moral question for even if Matt is completely moral, it feels like in what he's doing and he's doing this for an important reason. This opens that question of like, what has he what effect has he had? What what does the existence of Daredevil mean? And is he causing um, these spinoff, these side effects that are not things he can control and that are not positive, even though what he's doing, he feels is, you know, he's got complete control of it and he, he's doing what is right. I think that's a. I think it's a great to ask that question this early in the season, in the context of the Punisher, as maybe the worst example, but just in general, like what have you, what has Matt wrought by opening this box by by becoming Daredevil? It's not all under his control. That's a great question. I, I like. I just like the way you phrased that. And let's go ahead and go uh, to our local pawn shop where you can get some <laughs> tactical gear that's encrypted. Mm-hmm. And well, it's a pawn shop and a pawn shop, just to get the. Uh, both out of the way <laughs> yeah i suppose I, as it turns out that's funnier with your accent than it is with ours indeed but, I, that's that's where the giggle came from but uh yeah that, this is this is like perfect uh this is what you would expect for the punisher this is everything about who the punisher is talking about what we said at the very beginning right he he's there to get uh equipment that lets the punisher listen in on the nypd he's got a lot of money the guy has no problem giving it to him and the punisher's like okay with that even though you could argue like He's. This is how cops get shot. This is how cops get hurt. Um, but Punisher's okay with it because he wants that stuff. But then he gets offered uh, some child pornography, at which point uh, it's curtains for the owner of the pawn shop. Because that, that crosses a line for the Punisher. Yeah, so the, the trope of the closing the, the store by flipping the sign over, <laughs> which I'm sure I've seen a hundred times and things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I like the, 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 the guy who's in 
selling things to the the pawn shop and he says um that's a brand new ikea about the phone so it means two things either nokia's phone division still exists and is making phones in the mcu or ikea is now making phones Hmm. you have to build them yourself yeah Yeah. it's a pain that's all those little tiny hex screws no good no good Mm -mm. so moving on we get to really one of my favorite episodes or my favorite parts is because this character is just such a it's kind of like we're waiting for melvin Melvin. to do (laughs) something and there's so his little uh garage is so rich with easter egg that it's just like melvin what are you gonna do and he acts a lot different in this season than previous. Previously, he was kind of mentally challenged. Yeah. Yeah, and now he's Q. Yeah! Yeah, I was I was a little bit baffled by that, because, yeah, Melvin Melvin seemed last season to be uh, me- messed up in some way. Whether whether he was, uh, you know, he had, he, he was dealing with some trauma, or whether it was just the way he is, is, is not quite uh, what we would consider, like, your average everyday person. And the way he's played here, you know, maybe you could read it in in your head canon is that he's just in a better place. He's kind of got his stuff together now. Maybe Matt uh, has helped him working with Daredevil. It's good for business. I don't, I don't know, right? But um, it was good to see him again. But yeah, he does seem to be more capable. And uh, that that all aside, I I also really loved this scene because I love the idea that a superhero. You know, I always hated it. That uh, Spider Man's one of my favorite superheroes, but I always hated it that Peter Parker invented everything of his. Like he invented the web shooters, and he invented the costume, and he sewed the costume, and all that. Because it seems highly unlikely that a, a kid who gets superpowers or a person who gets superpowers is also going to have all of these other skills, right? Um, and that's what I like about having Melvin is uh, Matt needs a consultant to help him not be not have a terrible outfit, and Melvin's the guy, and Melvin. Uh, he saved his life with that with that helmet. So um, these scenes are always fun. It's just, yeah, he doesn't feel like the same Melvin as season one. And Melvin, yeah, and I, you go ahead. No, no, it was just the um, with all the sort of gadgets and costume stuff. I, I was thinking of the Incredibles as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, he's a grittier uh, Edna mode, definitely. Yeah, no well, capes. And there's a point where Melvin kind of almost takes an offensive role and what does he pick up a circular saw blade yeah which again I- leads me to thinking are we going to see gladiator i mean it's it, it's just so palpable that he's coming and he's such a non-character really but it would just be neat to see him yeah, it's probably just a you know i sometimes i think it's just uh Easter eggs, right? Like they know the comics fans are going to recognize references and say, "Yeah, that's good," but then not. It's n- not not any more than that. Like, just it was a funny reference, and it's and that's it. So we just leave it alone that he is going to be that that particular part of the series that just does does that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's fun to see him though, as he is, right? I mean, I do I do really like that. Most certainly. And he's really uh, kind of upset with Matt. Like, look, I kind of don't want to do this, but this whole deal with protecting Betty. And did we meet Betty? Wow, I don't remember. 
I don't. I think we might have, but I'm now blanking on the first season. Um, you expect me to remember things from season one of Daredevil yes. in detail? Yes. <sighs> no. I, I think we do. I I think that there is something there, but. Okay, any listener, go ahead and tweet that information out, and, you know, we'll put it in the data bank. Sure. Uh, Help us remember. Where should we move on from here? Well, we, we kind of haven't mentioned the fact that the, the DA wants uh, Grotto to wear a wire, and that's, like, the condition that he's going to get his uh, uh, witness protection. Yeah. Uh, so the, there's... That's all sort of going on, and there was there was the um, but the reason that Matt has got all this gear is that he's going back out to uh, track down the Punisher, and this is kind of happening in parallel with all the the, the legal stuff. The, yeah, the he kind of turned I, into a detective. Yeah, yeah. He's not the he's not the world's greatest detective, but he is a, he is a detective mm. in, in a suit. Uh uh, Reyes, can we talk about Reyes a little bit? Um, she's really annoying, and she's meant to be this this uh, obstacle for for uh, Nelson and Murdoch, basically. Um, but you've got she's got all this sort of like politics stuff accumulating around her. Oh, I'll make you know, I'll I'll ruin your law firm and all of that. And I I guess I can accept it that she's the she's corrupt political power and she's striving for for political office, and so she's getting in the way. But um, it really turns it up to 11 with her when uh, it turns out that this whole deal that they've got with Grotto that they've negotiated, she just completely disregards because she's just going to use him as bait for the Punisher. Um, and uh, and then she's also like giving tactical orders to the police, which, you know, like I said earlier, is not something that district attorneys do. That's not. So I... You know, she's a. I guess she's a good villain. She's a villain in the sense of being unlike somebody like the Punisher who's shooting people. But she's an she's an adversary for them. Working, and you get the sense the system is corrupt because she's manipulating it to do all this. At the same time, she does seem kind of super super powered to me. Like she's got she can do anything with the police, and she can make plea deals and then lie about them. And uh, I, I, I didn't love this character. Not I, we're not supposed to like her because she's she's the enemy. But she seemed kind of uh, just unrealistically powerful to me. Yeah, totally, and she yeah, seems to yeah. She seems to be doing lots of things that an actual DA wouldn't be doing. And yeah. uh, like coming out to all the scenes of of the <laughs> the crimes and like sort of sitting in the in the little booth as they're sending Grotto into. Uh, into the uh, supposed uh, wiretap situation. I guess having her be more hands-on is good in the sense that it, it makes her feel different than something like Fisk, who was not hands-on most of the time. He was sort of dispatching his flunkies to do his bidding. But it does feel like, given her role here, she would not be she would not be out at these at these scenes and. And although she has flunkies, she's she's around. I don't know. It's it's a it's a broad character, uh, and uh, you know it's it's fine, but it's it's kind of pulpy. It's it's she's just so. I don't know. I feel like I I feel like I almost want her to see to see her uh, struggling and to to manipulate the situation to be the way she wants it to be. 
And instead, she just makes it happen. Like, there's no sense at all that she doesn't have complete control over everything um, the, the whole time, which uh, that, that kind of annoyed me. I mean, I like I like where it leads us in the episode, but I, but I find her problematic as a character because she seems so powerful. Uh, yeah, completely overpowered. Uh, she deals law with impunity. And yeah, to be in the cockpit of that kind of sting, you would think like, well, I have SWAT team all around. Why wouldn't I just go ahead and let them do their job because they know what they're doing? Yeah, because you're, I don't know, because you've got a bigger plan, because you've got a grand plan. But yeah, you should be able to just tell the SWAT team, here's what our plan is. Tell them something that's different than what you told Grotto and his attorneys. And... You know, and then let it happen. But instead, it's sort of like take the shot. And really, she's just a sort of micromanaging. You know, she wants to sort of control all the all the shots, as it were. Yeah, she's not a good chess player. No. So we've Um, got um, Matt is off doing his detective work, and he goes to the I think it's the Irish headquarters first, and there's a shot of like bloodied teeth embedded in the side of the the bar which i thought was interesting uh but he finds the the chain where the dog was chained up and then he starts doing all his detective stuff but he's got he's basically just walking around without his glasses but with a hoodie up so you know by the laws of superhero shows nobody can recognize him at all because he has this hoodie and yeah he eventually tracks down the Punisher's lab. Is it following the... Is it the dog's blood or yes. somebody else's blood? Yes, yeah. it's the dog's blood. Yeah. And then he hears, I think, the police scanner, um, which is still running. Uh, and As you do. Goes up, goes up to the Punisher's uh, new hidey hole, and uh, the, the dog is uh, instantly pacified by a few dog treats, which I thought was nice. That's how that works. How dogs yeah. work? Always have dog treats on you. Well, f- yeah, fighting dogs especially. All you gotta do is give them some kibble and bits. Done. Well, they're good. That's it. They're yeah. they're uh, they're just fluffy, <clears throat> lovey uh, creatures at that point. Yeah. Um. Well, okay. So have we have we gotten there now? I mean, this yeah, is we're the big there. Thing. We're this there. Is, we're I think is, we've got is... we've got one more scene. We've got the um the dogs of hell cleaning crew. Who are sort of cleaning <laughs> off, the, literally cleaning off the big truck, and uh, we've got the the sort of the guy, with the, guy with the headphones, the guy with it's the like headphones, it's like Terminator, and yeah, so he's cleaning up while around him, everybody is being taken out, and uh, and that that truck comes in handy uh, later on in the scene. Hmm. Yep, there there was yeah, a the lot of yeah, there was there's a lot of blood splashing. Um, and you know, you would think that like, even at your periphery, um, the guy with the headphones might see a little something, but, uh, he doesn't and becomes focused on his job. That's right. And you know, it's, it's important. (laughs) You want to make sure the whole thing's cleaned out before you strip it down for parts. Not going to do a bad job for the dogs of hell. They will, they will mess you up. (laughs) So you got to be very thorough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so he finds himself completely, uh, duct taped. Um, and we don't know that completely yet, but we find, um, that this truck ends up going down to the, uh, scene of, of, of the sting operation and Mm -hmm. the sting operation 
is not what it seems. It is to uh, be bait for getting uh, Mr. Castle uh, to come out and play. Yeah, so the DA figures she's got enough leverage that she can do whatever she wants with Grotto, and they'll just take it because this is the only way Grotto's going to get his uh, his plea deal. Which, I don't know, I feel like that she's just setting this up for a whole series of... The implication must be that, like, all the judges are on her payroll or whatever, because, you know, this is not... <laughs> This is not going to go well when when Grotto's case comes to trial that the DA reneged on a plea agreement and all of that. But we don't we're not supposed to think about any of this too much. She's too powerful. You you, you just you can't cross her. You would think like um, Bobby the rookie or Frank the lieutenant might say, you know, this this doesn't feel right at all. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> they don't. So then we're on the roof, right? Then we're then we're on the roof. Indeed. Well, we've got the the. Yes. Come on, James, uh, let's get to the roof. <laughs> he doesn't want to go. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking that we've, we've got the cops, they shoot out the water barrel so that, you know, it's spraying water everywhere. So the two of them can basically fight in the rain like yes. um, lovers in a Bollywood film. And Sure. Yeah, so we have another rooftop fight. And we just yeah. got done with one in episode one. It's like these guys just won't quit. Except this time, they're also being simultaneously, there's bullets whizzing everywhere, which don't seem to hit anybody. Right. Yeah, that that's, it reminded me of, um, was it, is it Arrow, where there was the climactic battle between uh, Arrow and Ra's al Ghul on the top of the dam, and the entire, like, SWAT team is there trying to shoot at them, and nobody, nobody hits them. <laughs> it's like, boy, the cops are really bad in uh, superhero shows. Yeah, they all need to be fired. Clearly. Are these are the worst cops. These are the ones that the DA can get to do her bidding. Oh, that makes sense. I'll, I is accept that. that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> good. But this is the, you know, so we get a rematch of this battle, which is, which is fun. And there are a lot of water towers on the top of buildings in New York City, we learned from Daredevil. Lots of water towers. Um, and Frank, yeah. Frank does take a bullet in the arm. Which kind of stunts everything mm-hmm. down a bit. Um, and then he makes a play and basically takes Red away. Takes Red off the board. Yeah, Matt's got... Matt's still... You know, Matt should not be out there, right? He should not be out there. He is too damaged from the last battle. But he feels like he has to be. He has no alternative. He's got to find the Punisher. And it it gets him here because he loses his his uh hearing again and that's it the game is the game is over and uh and uh he's he's out he's down for the count and then foggy goes running in to look and see what happens after i think telling karen to stay where she is and then looks through the skylight and there's nobody there no no he's gone and there's a i i uh, great cliffhangers in this show i i would say you've you've already seen it in episode one and episode two I think they do a really good job. In fact, uh, at the end of this episode, Lauren turned to me and said, so is uh, Daredevil going to die at the end of every episode? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think so. I think this every episode is going to end with, oh, I hope Daredevil isn't dead because uh, two for two here with these surprising, uh, really nice cliffhangers. And, you know, when people complain, I don't know what you guys think about this, that um, a lot of these binge shows, a lot of the Netflix kind of shows they uh people complain like oh it's just one story you don't the individual episodes don't earn it 
you know, they just cut them wherever. And people have argued that like binging is is screwing up TV storytelling. And I look at Daredevil and I think that's absolutely not the case. Like this episode, I know what happened in this episode. It's like, oh yeah, this is the episode where they where they try to use Grotto as bait, and then they had that second fight on the roof, and then he, he takes Matt away, and it has a great cliffhanger. So you can either view that as being it leads you into into binging episode three, or you could view it as like any good TV show, it leaves you wanting more for the next time you watch an episode. But either way, I, I'm really happy about how this season of Daredevil has an a, an ending that feels like, like episode two here, it's a great ending and it makes me either want to watch more immediately or want to watch the next one the next time I have a chance, I have enough time to watch an episode. And I like, instead of the, you know, occasionally you do see it with binge shows where you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's the end. Um, but not not Daredevil. They, I feel like they did a really good job of making these end, uh, you know, the final couple of minutes of all these episodes uh, really uh, exciting climaxes that made me want to watch more. A- yeah, absolutely. And, and we saw, I think there was like a giant blood stain on the ground as well, just as it pans away sure. from it. Well, and the you you say these cliffhangers, I would say even the openings to each of these episodes, and it makes me really want to talk about episode three because of where we pick up, and I'm going to hold that for episode three, obviously. But I mean, it, these the these cutoff points are not are just beautiful, and it makes it very hard not to go to the next episode. It's true, but I do it. I'm slow binging it. Oh, you're the man. <laughs> I wait a day at least. Wait a day. Gives me a day to think about like what happened in episode two. You know what what's going to happen next. It's uh, it's fun. Slow, unlike, slow binge. Unlike the two of us that watched it in the first next, weekend. next, 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 yes. next. No, yeah. It's not even having to press next. It's just having through your own inaction. That's true. Getting the <clears throat> whole season. True. Netflix yeah. is happy to just keep playing episodes for you. Indeed, they I have are. to. I have to fight and say no, no, no. I don't want to see the next episode yet. Nope, not yet. I actually have to will myself into not watching the next episode, but I do. Well, with that, gentlemen, I thank you because this has been just always fun, and I really want to get to talking about three. So we've got to go. So, Mr. James Thompson, thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, you can put me back in whatever wacko box I came from. <laughs> Mr. Snell, it's always a pleasure to have you in Hell's Kitchen. Somebody sweep up that glass, please. All right, we'll get to it in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>